Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the best Tuesday you have had all week. We are stoked for the True Wealth Show because I've got. All right, I'm I'm almost grudging when I say this, by the way. So, Matt, mm-hmm. welcome back. You're unfired. I'm unfired because well, when why? When the markets were going up, you, you were gone and the markets were going up. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, fine, we'll fire you. And that way. Yeah, you know the markets will keep going up, and before you came back, they started to go back down, and we looked around and said, "Well, who's going to do all the work we don't want to do?" Mm, so we're like, yeah. "All right, we better keep him around." <laughs> so we'll find something new to fire you for. Don't worry. Uh, okay, just give but, it time. But also, one of our favorite recurring guests on the show, welcome Derek Simmons. It's always good to be here. We are stoked to have you back, uh, and. I know this is, it's kind of a treat because you're going into your invisible season. What do we call it? It feels like that. Yeah. Annual meeting season where all the, all the companies, the small companies have their annual legal audit and tax planning session. Yeah. When you say it that way, it sounds so fancy. It does. It sounds productive, doesn't it? It does. It does. Well, uh, judging from your lack of presence in all things in existence, because Derek basically lives in his office for three months. Well, you know, what happened was that the feds helpfully made it attractive for most everybody to have a calendar year end, which right. is very convenient because it lines up for everybody. But on the other hand, it makes all those year end meetings at the exact same time. Right, right. But it also means that basically tax season for you, you can still go on vacation. There is that, yes. Yeah. In March and April, I'm good. Yeah, it's, it's like, just, well, you know, and if you're going to live in the Pacific Northwest, at least your busy seasons when you weren't going to see the sun anyway. That's true. So well well designed in that one. So well played. Well, speaking of play, okay, uh, that I have a theme for our show today that I want to unpack with everybody. And, and I want to explain why. First, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the markets are having a rough year. No fooling? No fooling. I believe S&P 500 is now closed at the lows of the year today, down more than 25%. NASDAQ closer to 30 or 31%, I believe. And uh, there are other categorical indexes that are hurt even more than that. Uh, It doesn't matter where you're trying to hide, right? If you're a bond investor, you are miserable, right? About the only thing, I mean, and here's the joke, right? You could have put it in your mattress or in the bank, which is about the same thing these days in terms of interest, unless you're in like one of these high interest savings accounts, where you're still losing purchasing power, but at least you can't see it happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? uh, you know, we, we're watching inflation continue to be a problem. We know that the Federal Reserve is sort of backed into a corner. Uh, we know a lot of this is man-made. Right, like like almost by design. We could say lots of reasons why. Don't care, and 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 don't bring me your politics on this one, because you know nobody knew for sure. We just know the solution was go big while it not like not go big or go home, but go big while at home. <laughs> Everybody was home, and we just invented money, and we spent a lot of it too. And we said on the program, right? I don't know when the bill comes due. I just know it will. And if you look around, this would be the bill coming due. Mm-hmm. So, the, but there, there's, I continue to believe there's a silver lining to this, and 
the so the the theme of this show right now is what I'm going to say. Don't take the L. So remind me though, silver lining to what? Silver lining to the 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 market being down and everybody feeling awful about it. Okay. Yeah, that's this, a good time to buy. This, well, it it should be, and this is a really good signal. But this is where so we live in opposite land right now. Okay, like bad economic news is good. Good economic news is bad. And if you're asking yourself, what? Like you should, but right now, good economic news, Federal Reserve raises rates even higher, mm-hmm. right? Oh, jobs report came in stronger than expected. Well, we better raise those interest rates and crush it, right? But if the jobs report had come back, you know what? We're starting to lay people off. Normally you'd go, that's no good, right? The economy's getting weaker. But everybody in the stock market land says, oh no, no, we don't have to raise interest rates any higher. That's good. Mm-hmm. So opposite land. That's how we should be investing too. Right about the time it's miserable and everything in your soul says, run away, right? That's when you step into battle in the stock market. The time to sell was what, about- Six months ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. in fact, I'd go 10 months ago. Would you? Yeah. If you'd have sold at the end of December last year, it's like, you know what, Merry Christmas. Let's, let's, uh, you, you, you're the almost the exact high water mark of the year was darn near the last day of the calendar year. Which yeah. you would not have noticed because you were in annual meetings. Yeah, that's true. I was busy. <laughs> but I, 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 I was looking at a statement today that showed me account balance as of December 31 and then June 30th and then September 30th. And you could just, it, it was a bad downhill slope. Yeah. Yeah. So And it's this exact same, you know, there was no changes. Now, the good thing about that is I still have it. It can come back. Yep. Yep. And I think this is a real key to what not taking the L means, right? And I'm thinking of the wins and losses column. I'm starting to see on things like message boards. So, you, and, and message boards are interesting. So if you get into Reddit, for example, mm-hmm. which is a lot more youth in the message board arena. Okay, so you're gonna get a lot of younger people generally, not exclusively, but generally. What I find interesting is the folks that are starting to say things like, I've been scalded. I'm down 35, 40, 50% in my account. I think I just am going to throw in the towel. I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And then there's the snarkiness that comes with online, where there's people that are teasing about, well, go eat some crayons or something like that. And then there's people that are trying to be generally and genuinely encouraging. And they're saying, look, that's not that f- far out of line for what the market has done. You need to ride this thing out. The question is, why should you ride it out? Well, because you definitely lose if you sell it for less than it was worth well, when you put your money in, for sure. This is the thing I think about as the market goes down, 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 down. All the money I have in there is getting to be worth less, but I haven't sold it yet. It could still come back. If I sell it, it is locked in at a loss. I can never recover from that. Yeah. There's an interesting dynamic at play here that folks don't often pay attention to, right? And it's, let's think about it like freeze drying food for a second, okay? If you suck the water out of it, it gets lighter and it shrinks down. But if you put the water back in it, it plumps back up. And the idea is that you've, you've taken out, I guess the, 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 the water is, it's filler, if you will, okay? In the markets, you're not really getting rid of shares. 
Like if you own Microsoft and the stock is down by 50%, but you own the same number of shares as you started, then what you have is a share value problem, mm-hmm. not a money problem. The problem is why doesn't anybody think these shares are worth more? They used to be worth more to people. What changed? Well, here's the funny thing about the stock market. You want to know how the stock market gets valued? By what someone's willing to pay for it. Yeah, and how do we give a value? Like, how do you know what Microsoft is worth right now? Well, you could go online and you could look at what their market capitalization is. Right, but 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 more simple than that, right? I mean, one person I, I, will buy and one person will sell right. at the same price, and mm-hmm. we will look at the last known transaction between two parties that agreed, right? <laughs> it wasn't a direct sale, but there were two willing parties that made an, made an exchange. And we will look at the price, and that last price that we see will be what we publish as the price. And then we will make all of our assumptions off of that. So let's say, Matt, Mm -hmm. you really want to buy a new boat. Sure. I'm always wanting to buy a new boat. Always wanting to buy a new boat. Uh, And let's say that you decide to sell some of your Microsoft stock in order to buy a boat. Mm-hmm. You sell it right now. Do I have the same value of Microsoft stock as you? You do because... Um, on paper I do, but yeah. I'm not going to sell it for 10 years. Right, so then it changes. Well, it depends on when I make my transaction in 10 Mm -hmm. years, that's the value I get to have. And everything else in between is the noise of watching other people exchange back and forth. Right. Now, it can feel really nice to see a value on paper, right? Felt better a year ago than it does today. (laughs) No doubt. Right? Right. But But did you really change the value of your count? If you, I mean, in fact, you may be better off in some respects if you are generating cash and able to invest because you can buy those shares right now from people that are desperate to, I don't know, get a boat or they have right. to sell for whatever reason. And because of that, you're able to accumulate at a significantly lower price than the day you would intend to sell. It does change the dynamic there. Like if you're buying shares every single month, you've for the last you know nine months been buying it more and more on sale every month. Right. I think what we have is this real recency bias to how we value things. and Like a short-term view of how we assess our value on these. We're essentially taunted into thinking like traders instead of investors. Mm -hmm. Right. So break down for me the difference between a trader and an investor. Well, I think of an investor as someone that's got a long-term time horizon. And by long-term, I'm thinking multi-year. Okay, and where does this come from? Just so everybody knows, if you've ever heard the, you know, hey, you should have three to six months of uh, liquid savings in an emergency fund. Why, right? So if you lose a job, you have that money to live off of while you find a new job, or if you get hurt or something like that, you have that money to bridge the recovery time before you're either reemployed or your disability coverage kicks in, which that's a whole separate conversation, not for today's show. But that's what that's for, so that you're not forced to sell your investments at an inopportune time. Mm -hmm. So you're buying time to allow these things to play out because they're intended to be sold in the future. So the trader is the person that looks at things and says, I'm less interested in the future value of this, meaning future beyond, say, maybe it could be anywhere from moments 
to maybe weeks, months at the long shot. But I think of traders as people that don't have long-term capital gains. So in the immediate short term, like when you're talking about um, day traders. Correct. They're looking for a momentary improvement, and then they call it. That's good enough. Right. Yeah, and then there's kinda lots like, of different terms for that, scalping or whatever you want to call kinda it. kind of like someone that's buying a house just to flip it, right? Like you yep. go in, you tear the old carpet out, you clean up the floors, paint the walls, and put it right back up for sale. The same concept, flipping a house, mm-hmm. is trading the house. Yeah. Buying the house to rent it to somebody and own it for the next 10 years, yep. you're going to go through multiple market cycles. Mm-hmm. That's an investment. Exactly. Okay? You're going to ride that out. You're going to you know look for... You're, you're really counting on future cash flow of that investment and not just a quick change in value that you can exploit. I agree with you, though. I think a lot of people have taken on the mindset of traders when they're really investors, right? Or perhaps when they should be investors. They, that's another good See, point. And I think that you're on to something there. So let's. what I want to do is help everybody with this show. We're going to peel back some of this. But yes, we're going to grab a break. When we're going to peel back some of the layers on how we get coaxed into thinking like a trader, but how are we going to anchor ourselves as investors? We'll find that silver lining and we're going to figure out how to make you some money. But first, this break, stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn, Matt Dixon, and Derek Simmons. And you're listening to True Wealth on 93 to 9 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show where I've got awesome guests in studio and Matt. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Low blow. So not fair. No, Matt, we're super stoked that you're back. Uh, and you were hunting, of course. Yeah. And it was successful. It was. Got a big four point mule deer. Right. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I swear it's Photoshop, but. Probably I, so. You know, because he didn't even bring in the evidence. He's just like, look, it's on my phone. Like, I've yeah, been I've been know. hoarding that. It's meme. an alleged photo. Yeah. 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 So and anyway, if you want to see a picture of it, you're going to have to stop by the office. Fair enough. So, so we, you know, let's just send them all to, can we put on Facebook? Can we put on the your, little John Facebook page here on our Facebook page? I think so. We probably could. Uh, if you want that, then ask for it on our page. So hit it up and say, yeah, you know, we need to see a picture of this mule deer. Uh, hey, also, you know, you're already chiming in, but Derek, thanks for joining us today. Always a Derek, pleasure. Derek Simmons, who's one of our favorite attorneys of all time. Right. Uh, We're talking about not taking the L. Right. The the loss column, not throwing in the towel on your investments just because times are getting tough and times are tough right now. Mm -hmm. We're talking 20 to 30 percent slides almost everywhere. You're talking double digit losses in bond portfolios this year and lots of volatility and we're going into an election cycle, so the rhetoric's ramping up. You know, they're trying to divide everybody up and conquer and get your vote. And if you want to know what we already talked about, all I'm going to tell you is we got a podcast for it. So check it out on our webpage at littlejohnfs.com under the Educate tab. What I want to do is dig into the good stuff, though. Derek and Matt. Mm-hmm. We talked last segment about how the – I think the markets – coax people or even taunt them into thinking short term like a trader rather than viewing the markets long term like an investor. We kind of define that as longer than a year out. Okay. But here's the question I have for you. What do you think it would take to have investors 
investment accounts, they're, they're, the investments that they own never recover. Right? Their accounts never recover again. So the easy one, the easy one is they sell their stuff and convert it into a lower, you know, lower value cash than what they paid in. Okay, so that's, that's the, one of them. The easy, obvious yep. one is it's self-inflicted. Sure, you it, could sell it, it, yeah. It feels to me like being on a baseball field and you're down three runs in the ninth inning and you go, gosh, I, I don't want to be down four. I'm going to quit before the ninth inning begins. Yeah, I'll just concede. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just gonna, and that way I definitely lose, but I don't lose by more than three right. runs. That would be taking the L, yes, by the way. That so, would be so there's the effective one. taking the L. Okay, what's uh, what's another uh, thing that could prevent an investor from ever recovering? I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Just crazy stuff, right? Because sure. that's what it, we're whatever here. Whatever you want. The country here. gets overthrown by another country, and the U.S. stock exchange completely ceases to exist. Okay. Red Dawn. Yeah. So, like, so let's play that out okay. in our minds, right? So. I'm going to ask you some more questions. Mm-hmm. So the U.S. is taken over. Yep. Are all of the companies on the stock exchange that are domiciled or also doing business globally, are they all gone? No, they're not. They're still in existence. Okay. Do the shareholders get to maintain their ownership? That's the part I don't know. Would okay. they would they be able to maintain ownership if the stock exchange is okay. you're, shut you're, down? You're seeing a theme real quick yeah. here, Derek. You just mentioned they could sell, they which could. is a which means what happens to their ownership? Well, if they sell, they're giving it away. Right, they're they voluntarily give away. up the ownership. Mm-hmm. Okay, in your scenario, they may involuntarily right. give up the ownership, just okay. because they're there's. There's no other option. Now, just so everybody on the radio knows, I quizzed Matt like a bunch before mm-hmm. the show to try to get this extracted from him, and he looked at me like I had two heads. It was fun. Yeah. The I other one I had was an Ice Age. An Ice right? Age, yeah. which is another interesting one. So I'm going to short-circuit this one to get to what I think are the keys, right? Okay. When you sell, I think there's sort of three paths and I'm going to add a fourth in this. So you voluntarily sell, voluntarily sell. forced to sell. Well, let's or, say forced. Let's say if you're forced to sell, you're not even. I don't think that's sell anymore. They're just that's the same thing. It. Yeah, it's, it's like nationalizing. Yeah, yeah it's there been you go. Right? Heisted from if, you. If you if all of the sudden private ownership didn't exist anymore, right? There so that we would go. Be a form of communism or socialism or there, some kind yes. of forced taking of property. That hmm. would lock in an L that we could all share equally. Yeah. Then, <laughs> yes, yeah. Party hard, right? But but that's a real concern where if somebody came to me and said, what if we don't have capitalism anymore? I go, you're right. That is a yep, genuine a bomb mm-hmm. that you would drop in and it would just scatter everything. We don't, I don't know how we re- recover from that one. So that is a good extreme example. Your Ice Age example. What that does is it changes values in an interesting way. Because I'm going to assume that that decimates the population. Yeah. Okay. And if we were to say cut the population of the whole planet by, I don't know, 75%, value of things would crater. Mm -hmm. Right? Because you would have so much demand destruction. Right. But the interesting thing is it wouldn't take lots more to preserve your purchasing power because all of a sudden, yeah, homes may have fallen to nothing, but 
they're everywhere. You can get one for really cheap, mm-hmm. right? Because nobody needs them, right? Oh well, we have a million homes and we got fifty people to live in. It's them. like a we'll reset. A yeah, it's like a reset on the value of everything. Yes, and, and supply for everything else would dry up as well. Right. So it would completely reorganize the financial system, but supply and demand would be so radically shocked that the value of your account wouldn't really be your concern. Okay. This is something I've commonly referred to on this show as the end of the world trade. Mm-hmm. And it is a trade, not an investment, right? At the end of the world, everything breaks and you're into the barter system now. And it's just whatever I have a value that I can trade with other people that they have a value so that we both get what we want. And now I now we're back to feudalism, right? We're literally like talking about castles and the, the knights that protect their kingdom and they get taxes paid to them. I mean, we're we're rolling back into the beginning of time. Bartering and home canned green beans from your garden. Well, you know, it, it, it would be, can you, it all is dependent upon the level of infrastructure that survives, right? You yeah. Know, if, if we're back to like campfires and hand farming without irrigation, life gets really hard. Okay. But if we maintain infrastructure and what forth, then the likelihood of progress is that there's recovery. It's just, it's still painful. You got to rebuild the population and you got to relearn a bunch of stuff, but different kind of end of the world trade than I was talking about. Yeah. Let's get back to home bases investors. Okay. We've had voluntary liquidation, forced liquidation, or radical restructuring of the demand side of the curve. Supply would do it too, but an unnatural disruption in supply and demand. Where there is, in theory, just no supply. Well, if there's no supply, that, I mean, it, it, you're talking about there's only two curves in economics, right? Mm-hmm. I'm drawing lines with my hands in studio now. Like, you only have two bars. One, it's a great radio lines. picture. One Dave. is Thank supply you. and one is demand. It's an X, right? And if you move one of them, it's going to change where the intersection of that X is on mm-hmm. your chart. That's how prices change. So whether you radically affect supply or you radically affect demand, it will change price. Okay? I really can't come up with a lot. I mean, I can come up with a million different scenarios for how those things could maybe happen. Can you come up with any? Any what? Any situations. Any that are realistic. Yeah, yeah. any that are realistic. Well, yeah, I can. This is probably the scariest one that is, uh, just so like you know, feasible. statistically it's way out of line, but it's not a zero probability, would be nuclear spillover in Ukraine. That there's a tactical nuke that triggers some kind of response that forces allies to engage, mm-hmm. and then you see a much larger scattering, and you have a material part of the population that's really, really impacted, may not be here any longer, and you've either got people that are really hurt, really sick, or they're not here anymore, and infrastructure is wiped out. Right. And that is a radical alteration to the way the system operates. And it would have to be fairly global in nature. A regional would be a true tragedy, but not unsurvivable. We've seen mm-hmm. those happen historically before. And if you, I mean, like Japan is still there, and we dropped not one but two atom bombs on Japan. Yeah. So, you're saying this would have to be a global, widespread it, it's nuclear more like event. the 1980s. You know, Matthew brought was it. I think war it was games. Matthew Broderick, War Games, and it's Would the idea like of, to play a game yeah, of global thermonuclear war? Right, and all of a sudden <laughs> it proliferates to like, whoa, what just happened? It's just not in anybody's best interest to have that happen, which is why the probabilities are exceedingly low. I don't think, and, and if it were to happen and the end of the world came again, what could you do as an investor? 
So I feel like that is a really hard one to get there. But you ask. I will tell you, if that happens, I'm going to get in his boat, and then we're going to go ride around. I, I like, like it. It's all I got. Yeah, and and I'm gonna I might go with you. <laughs> You know, or I'm going to watch a really hot sunset coming my way. Yeah, go so, fishing and catch some radiation poisoning. That's it. Just enjoy it. What what's they say? Smoke them if you got them. All right, look, uh, at this point, we're running long. I want to tell you, we're, we're going to grab a break because time. When we come back, there's a bright side to this, I promise, and we will <laughs> share it with you. But first, this obscene profit break. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn, Matt Dixon, and Derek Simmons. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right, gang. We are back. Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with Matt Dixon and Derek Simmons. And if you're just joining us, I will tell you we're having some fun figuring out. First of all, it's like let's break it all down into how the world might end. But today we're we're, we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about how the world might not end. Are you saying hey, we're like going to build it back better, David? We are. I'm not going to say that. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not getting into that one. We're not going to make it great again or build it back better or anything else. Because I'm here to tell you, the system is a lot better, in my opinion, than people realize. It's fun to throw rocks at it, especially if you think you're throwing rocks at the other team. But I'd wager most of us are closer to the same team than you think. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I just I know a lot of people on a lot of sides. We've almost been trained to throw rocks at each other, but most of the time, you you know you 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 relax. You take a little time to listen, and you discover all right. Well, maybe we just aren't. Maybe we aren't defining the words the same way. That's a real challenge these days. Maybe we don't have the same educational background to get there. Mm-hmm. I remember my brother telling me he'd gone to Mexico for an exchange year. And while he was there, um, he was talking to, to a, a native about how the um, the, US gov- the U.S. was broken down into Democrats and Republicans and what they disagreed about. And this was the 80s, so it wasn't quite as much as everybody disagrees about now. But uh, the guy said, no, 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 you're all the same. Have you guys even considered uh, a king? <laughs> and the answer was, well, no, we, I guess we are pretty close together, comparatively speaking. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. That's a good point. It's it, well, th- so where this is coming from, just so all of you out there listening have a, a little bead on this one. You, you know, we, we did just go through the idea of well, what happens if the capitalist system as we know it were to be sort of, uh, I'm not, I don't want to call it destroyed, but let's say it was gone for whatever reason. We didn't have capitalism anymore. What would that mean? And it, it comes off a couple of things. First of all, I think capitalism is brilliant, okay? It's totally self-interested. If unrestrained, it can be dangerous because there's a lot of people that without some kind of guardrails will, will exploit others, yeah. right? Like hum- humanity has taught us that Without guardrails, it doesn't take a lot. Like most people don't exploit others. Like most people, if somebody dropped their wallet or their purse or something, you'd pick it up and return it to them. Mm-hmm. But not everybody. And that's the part that blows it for the whole team. And so you put guardrails on this because somebody's willing to poison a river for personal profit. And then we all suffer for that. 
So we make rules against poisoning rivers, not because most normal people would consider it, but because some jerk would. Right? That makes sense. And it's so true. that's why we do it. So I don't want to throw capitalism out because of a bad actor. I think capitalism's brilliant because it's so creative at solving problems. It does. The market will solve most problems. Right. And that's that's my issue with today. And Matt, you brought up the question too about, well, do you see these like, and you know, you were kind of framing it as younger folks, but I would say mm -hmm. folks that we hear that say they want to abandon capitalism, they would prefer right. a different system. And you said, do you think that culturally that's going to take hold? And what was my answer? Well, I think part of it was, I think capitalism is too popular. That was part well, of it. Well, and yeah. it's woven into the fabric yeah. of right. society. They're not even realizing all the places where capitalism affects them. Right. I think that we all benefit from it so much. My example was that it's sort of like the water in Oregon, where you can go almost anywhere and drink out of a tap, and it tastes pretty good. We don't even think about it. But if you go somewhere like L.A. and drink the water out of a tap, you will notice. Right. It will not be the same water. And you'll be like, hmm, I think bottled water now. Here and we, we have capitalism running through all the pipes in in the United States. We do. And much of the world, frankly. We do. So capitalism to me is, again, it's this thing that we all benefit from. Right. So if somebody that says, well, I want a different system like this. And then you ask them to explain the system. And then you say, well, are you willing to give these things up? And it's usually a, well, not that part of it. Mm -hmm. you, you know, and so you kind of want a system that largely would feel more fair as that person interprets fair. Okay. And, and so, again, there's, there's differences that are going to appear in that. But I think most people like the idea that they can choose the food they want to eat or how they want to dress or largely say what they want to say without significant repercussions. Largely. Right. And, again, we still put guardrails on this because... There's always that one person that will take it too far. But the reason I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on capitalism is it, it fixes policy gaps, right? If we've had terrible policy that's led to radical inflation or some kind of other distortions in the marketplace that have led to everything being on sale right now in the market, and I believe it's on sale, okay? It's not investment advice, but I'm just telling you, it's a heck of a lot cheaper than it was a year ago. That's true. Buy a lot more shares for the same dollars as you could a year ago. So I think capitalism will figure out creative ways to work around policy and it will find a way to profits. Mm -hmm. And then there'll be all new policies to try to correct those because there'll be some jerks in there too. And so I think that we can expect that. And then I will read the new policies and find fun new ways to deal with them. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's actually one of my base premises. And it's so fun that you're here today. <laughs> is to go, people have said all the time, well, you know, golly, we got this, that, and the understanding. You know, it'll be okay because lawyers. Yeah. And I go, wait, what? Because, you know, mean Shakespeare jokes. Well, the first thing we'll do is get rid of all the lawyers. And I go, well, hold on here. I mean, Yes, some of the things that have happened, it's because of the, the nature of the law can lead one direction, but people don't want to look at when the nature of the law leads the other way, which is, all right, you wrote bad policy, but you didn't say we couldn't do this. Mm -hmm. And so this is where I have you, to give kudos to my favorite lawyer who you can have to, come up with really creative stuff. You have to find it, a way to do the things that people want to do that, that doesn't violate the law. Yeah. And lots of times they're out there 
but it's not the readily available first option. Yeah, and and you'll kind of appreciate this. It's 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 what's the easiest answer to a question in law? No, yeah. it's always no. <laughs> no, no. Can I do this crazy thing? No. And the, and the better answer is often no, but. If you're trying to accomplish X, here's maybe another way you could do it. Uh huh. Well, one of my favorite phrases that I, I will use it in the office, I use it with my kids, you've probably heard me say this, is don't tell me no, tell me how. Right. Mm. right? I've heard that one a few times. Uh huh. Because, like, I understand it doesn't work this way. How could it work? Mm hmm. Right. And it's just re examine the problem or re examine what you're looking for. And is there a different way to get there? capitalism is brilliant at this we have invented things that we had no idea we would need maybe we don't need them but we certainly enjoy them right i mean you realize that before there was google there was yahoo before yahoo there was like lycos and before lycos there was probably something else and you know netscape and before that there was there was no internet right i mean like I that feel like that time that is so have, long ago. We didn't ago. even have that before, and it changed the world. And then social media changed it again using the internet. And now we're starting to see virtual reality potentially change the world again. All right. I mean, these are all things that have were born out of capitalism and creativity. It's true. And we expect to see more of it. We do. So... I continue to be bullish as an investor that uh, there, there's a term out there called creative destruction. Have you ever heard of this? I have not heard that one. I, I mean, haven't. I hear disruption a lot, but. You're a creative disruption? No, just disruption. Disruption. Period. So, so when, when you hear disruption, what, what does that well, mean? Well, what I think of is you, you take a market and you shake it up by changing the assumptions that underlie it and uh, you provide a new solution with your new perspective and people like it better and mm -hmm. it disrupts the old market but creates a new one right so great term so the creative destruction is another version of when uh markets will get rid of something but something new gets born out of it right so the creative destruction would be uh we maybe have lost manufacturing jobs to robots but because people now have more discretionary time they've created whole new industries that didn't exist before and mm -hmm. robot manufacture <laughs> And programming. Yeah, and so that is an example. So when people say things, there's been a theory that's been running around for a long time that I, I hope is not true. And it's and it, there's sort of some political and social theory underneath this one too. Uh, and actually, this is, this is a fun one to bring back. What I should do, let's do this. Let's take our last break. I know you're going to be like, are you serious, right? Yes, we'll take the last break because I want to talk about creative destruction and then the theory of work shortage and whether or not that jives with my personal beliefs and how we look at it as investors. But first, the last evil profit break. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And Derek Simmons. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEM. All right, gang, welcome back to the home stretch of the True Wealth Radio Show, where uh, I guess I, I didn't mean to drop a bomb in the studio on it, but we were talking about market disruptors. Uh, you know, I'm trying to give like the silver lining or the bright side of being an investor and why I think this market ultimately course corrects, goes on to new highs, and I still think it's worth investing. But then we get into these weird ideas like, Derek, you said disruption, right? 
Sure, disruption yeah. that takes out one old form of the of a market and substitutes a new one. Right, and then I talk about creative destruction, right? Not disruption, but creative destruction where uh, jobs, like new industries show up, create new jobs, but they kill others, right? And so, and then we started to head down the path and I'm like, you know, I'm gonna use the last segment for this. The idea that there's this theory, a social theory that suggests we could run out of work. Like we'll just run out of stuff for, do, too for much, people to do. Too much automation. Well, yeah. What if we what if we automated everything to the point that we didn't that there weren't jobs to be had, and this does fly in the face of the concept of creative destruction. There's a lot of big names behind that movement and that theory. I mean, I think even Elon Musk was talking about this. Elon recently. Musk has talked about yeah. how artificial intelligence is able to continue to improve to the point that a lot of the things that we're used to mm -hmm. doing we wouldn't need to right. do. Uh, Japan has done a lot of this, and a lot of it was driven by their demographics, right? They had an aging population, not as many young people, and so they were automating more and more stuff. Just because they didn't have the sheer workforce and the number yeah. of workers. Yeah, it was yeah. sort of a necessity breeding invention concept. Mm -hmm. But if you look longer term, and a lot of futurists and folks talk about this, is the idea, if we were to run out of work because we just automated all the jobs, what happens? Right. And first of all, there's the, the, the social and economic theories that you'd have a disappearing middle class mm -hmm. and then you'd have this bigger gap between a, a small group that does jobs that aren't necessarily computerized, but they're low skill and they're low pay. And then you and, and, and largely you could call that. I don't even want to say it this way. It's you know, it's it's sort of a, there's just not a good diplomatic way. I'm looking for a better word for this. I'm going to say it anyway, but don't hate me for this one. It's kind of a slave caste idea, mm -hmm. right? Throughout history, a lot of initial capitalist systems were built on exploiting labor. In some cases, you're just exploiting the differential in labor value, which is why we manufacture in other countries mm -hmm. where the labor laws are different and the prices are different, and then we import back in. I'm hearing echoes of a Hamilton uh, lyrics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I really am trying to be careful about this because the idea is this is what globalism was all about, right? And nationalism was like, well, let's bring all the jobs back and make it in the USA and rah, rah, rah. And I'm, I get it, right? But at the same time, you know, you, you, you can't say I want it for cheap, but I also want it made here when we have to pay a lot more to make it here because somebody in Vietnam or Taiwan or somewhere else will work for fractions on the dollar because their economy costs a different amount. So their their living wage is very different over there than it is here. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think that's true, but I think it's hard to get from there to we we work ourselves out of all jobs. I agree. And and so again, the theory is that it could go away and then if so, how would we support people? And that's where I think a lot of uh, sort of the the intellectual bourgeoisie is saying, well, then we need to design a system where we have a safety net for everybody and so forth. And you're really getting into dangerous waters where, you know. And it certainly feels weird at a time when every employer is short on workers. That's yes. the key part. It's like, yes. don't you feel like we're jumping the gun a little bit when we talk I talk mean, about it, things like universal basic experiment. income? Well, and, and that's it is. the thing is, it, what's it look like 100 years from now? That's kind of the question. And uh, and. And what can we invest in now that will pay off in big, big well, ways in a hundred yeah. years? Robotics, yeah. right? <laughs> and, and the other would be, uh, there's a little Star Trek world to this, right? If mm. you if, if you know much about the history of Star Trek and the the world that Gene Roddenberry was sort of espousing to, one of the things was there wasn't a need for material things anymore because if you had 
the the equivalent. It was a what they call it, a replicator was the, the replicator. technology, but it would just make whatever you needed. And so you could walk up to it and say, oh, you know, give me a glass of milk, and it would just appear. So nobody really worried much about material possessions, so they pursued other endeavors. Like, that wasn't the way to measure your success was in materialism. Hmm. It's fantasy land in, in capitalism, right? Because you are, we have to produce things. So the idea that everyone would simply pursue higher learning and art and exploration was novel, but unlikely. Uh, but if but we the, can get robots to make all the stuff. Well, that's <laughs> the theory is like, where do you go with this? And I expect you have, you know, one group that's terribly depressed because they don't know what they're doing. So you're saying the Renaissance era could have a return. I, <laughs> I, I still think creative destruction would in, in entirely new things. I am amazed at the creativity of people that will take tools. I mean, have you ever seen people make art from like, like yard debris? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. You know, some good stuff. And you go, Wow, that was really clever. And I go, imagine that occurring in the business ecosystem, yeah. or the manufacturing ecosystem. The, the creativity that we have not yet imagined will still happen. Because it ha right now it has to be productive or it doesn't work. Yeah. If we didn't need it to be productive, it could do some really cool stuff. Right. And, and here's the thing also. It doesn't even have to be productive. It just has to be popular. I mean, by God, TikTok is not productive, productive right? <laughs> but it's popular and it's for, you know, the people that are on it, there's a financial impact to it. I just scratch my head and go, you know, that is a whole new environment that didn't even exist 10 years ago. So that's another example of disruption and creative destruction or just creation. So, yeah, I'm just not that fatalist. I think capitalism will continue to create whole new things we haven't thought of yet. Which it's is, true. yeah, it's why we want to keep investing. Now, there are interesting themes to this. The super big companies tend to gobble up the innovation and just sort of accrete it into their system. So there's still a reason to invest in super big companies because they're gobblers right now. But at some point, there may be a, a government incentive. It probably doesn't happen in the United States because of a two-party system. But it may start abroad where companies start getting fractured and, and you start to see them broken back up into different components again intentionally and that creates a whole new market opportunity so it's just you just have to keep your eyes open for what's gonna come next so what's the future trend? if you can predict the future for me Derek we'll know how to make gajillions well the easy part is I'm gonna predict that at some point in the next 10 years the market will be worth more than it is now at some point and I think history suggests that that's a reasonable yeah. supposition well we talked this morning I mean history suggests that the market could be this is a silly stat. I don't even know where it came from, but I was, and I'll get it wrong. Now, past performance is no guarantee of it future results. It is no results. guarantee of future results, but I think we just saw more than a 5% swing when the market was, the S&P 500 was below its 200-day moving average, a 5% two-day swing in the markets, that big of a move, said it's occurred like 11 times historically, and 12 months after the occurrence, the average market recovery was 19%. Okay, that is not advice. That's not a recommendation you go buy right now or any of that stuff. Uh, That's just stats. It, yeah, it is stats. It's just, but I think you should it's pay optimism. attention that it is really, really hard to keep capitalism down. Mm -hmm. It's really creative. It will retool. It will exploit the opportunities that it discovers. It will look for those exploits, right? And then the markets will figure it out and they will copy them and the exploits will start to disappear and it will find all new ones. 
it's just how it operates. It's how creativity in, in the capital markets works. So do not concede automatically the L. Don't lock in the L. Right? It is about accumulation of shares, and you care about your share value in the future, not today. It's a good way to look at it. Okay? that's You care about it the day you have to sell. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason, of course, um, that you tell your clients that they should be looking at what their event horizon is and adjusting their holdings accordingly mm-hmm. as they get closer and closer. And it's why we spend so much time beating the drum of appropriate risk dynamics before you start. Because if you freak out and we can't talk you off a ledge, you may make a permanent decision on whether or not you maintain ownership that's voluntary and it's detrimental, right? It's different because you have to have the money. But if you don't have to have the money and you're just panicking, we spend an inordinate amount of time trying to talk you off that ledge because that's how you hurt yourself, right? And statistics will show you that it is investor behavior that is one of the number one detriments to results. It's true. Right? So we just want to improve behavior. Just got to stay out of our own way. So what if someone doesn't want to make mistakes or they're afraid of making mistakes and they want someone to talk to, David? <laughs> yeah. We'll just say if, if you need somebody to help talk you down or talk you through it, give us a call. Matt, how do they reach us? 541-375-0898. Derek, how do they reach you for fabulous legal advice? At Simmons Law. And that is SeriousBusinessLaw.com. All right, gang. Well, we're out of time for now, so I guess we better run. But thanks for tuning in. Uh, Again, check us out at LittleJohnFS.com and SeriousBusiness.Law for Derek. Uh, This has been Dave Littlejohn. Matt Dixon. And Derek Simmons. You've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Littlejohn Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.